morning. Good morning. Man, you guys, you guys uh, are looking good today. If there is somebody close to you and you are single and they're single right now, you can shoot them a look and say, you're looking good today. I'm free for lunch. You free for lunch? I used to hear people say like, well, you shouldn't go to church just to meet someone when I was single. Uh, where else should you go? Duh. Right? I am all about getting you connected. I am your friend. All of those of you that are in here that are not married and desire to be married, I am your friend. So if they are across the room right now, I'm giving permission for you to get up and move and go tell the person sitting next to them, I'm sorry, the Lord told me you're going to need to go find another seat. And you can tell them it was super hot over there in that area of the auditorium I was in. I just need to move somewhere. So right now, if you're sitting in a hot spot in the auditorium and you need to move somewhere that's a little cooler, you just go ahead and do that right now. I give you permission to do that. I tell you, I'm here to help you out. <clears throat> yes. It is a good day. Amen. And you know Why? One of the reasons is because next Sunday when I come here, I shall be drinking coffee. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those of us that are doing the 21 day Daniel fast, how many, who all, who all is praising the Lord that <laughs> next Saturday morning when I get up, I will be drinking coffee. <laughs> Darren asked me, he said, is it wrong? Like, are we doing this right? If we're uh, really, you know, missing those things. And I said, I think so, because I am suffering for Jesus right now. I'm like, oh, hard suffering. That honestly, that's like the thing. If you're not doing the Daniel fast, what we're doing, we're doing a 21 day Daniel fast. And we started on the first and it ends on the 21st at sundown. And, um, part of the thing that you can't have is caffeine. <clears throat> Dang that Daniel. <laughs> like, golly. So anyhow, that's probably the thing that I miss the most is my morning coffee. And I found that it's just a comfort. It's kind of, it's like a routine thing. It's a comfort thing to go to the coffee pot in the morning. The dogs follow me in there. I get my coffee turned on. I go let the dogs out. It's part of the routine. I'm a very routine person. I found that out. I'd like to think I'm spontaneous and live in, you know, all out in the paint and stuff, but I am not. I'm a, I am a routine person. So anyway, good to have you here this morning. Welcome to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. If this is your first time here or you're kind of new here, we're really glad that you're here. Here, you can make yourself at home, make yourself comfortable. If you're eyeing somebody that you think, man, this is a good church. They got good looking people here. You let me know. I'll take care of you. Okay. Yes. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the ecclesia and the ecclesia. Ecclesia is just the uh, Greek word for church. And as pastor has been speaking the past two weeks, Darren has been talking to us about the ecclesia and we're learning about the church. And I think this is really good um, because after we're coming back from the shutdown when we couldn't gather together as a church and we were closed down for a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> it's a good thing for us to ask ourselves, so what is church? 
And what is church to me? Why do I go to church? Why is that important? Why is it not important? Should it be important? Uh, what does church look like now after that? And I think how, I'm, I, will, I will be the first one to say that I have, you know, heard <clears throat> and know that in other countries that they're highly persecuted and will be put to death in places for gathering together in the name of Jesus Christ. And I will say I have taken for granted that we have that freedom here. And it wasn't until we were shut down and told, you know, that... Uh, where we can't meet that I was like, dang, I, I did take that for granted. You know, you don't know that you take things for granted until you don't have it like coffee. So there's that. Okay. So <clears throat> Darren read to us out of the scripture about the ecclesia and he defined it, <clears throat> excuse me, the church as a gathering of, or he said it's the called out ones, those who are called out by name. So you know God knows your name. God knows everything about you. So it's the ecclesia is those that are called out. And as you look into that definition, there are aspects of that definition for the church, the ecclesia, that also mean the summoned ones and they that gather, that come together, the called out ones that gather together. So when we come here, we are gathering together, not coming to the church, but we gather together as the church. The church, the ecclesia is not uh, built with walls, it is the people that make up the church. So really we could meet anywhere and we would be, as we're coming together as the called out ones, we would be the church. It doesn't have to be in a building because the building is not what makes up the church. You know, when you're not here throughout the week, the building is still called Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, but it's a whole lot different in here when there's nobody else in here. Right, Rhett? Rhett said it's creepy walking around in here when there's nobody else here. It kind of is. So anyway, in Matthew chapter 16 in verse uh, 18, Jesus, is it 18 or 16? That's 18, sorry. Um, Jesus is speaking and he says to us, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. I want to focus in on that my right there. When Jesus said, this is my church, this is the first time that the word ecclesia church is used in the scripture. And when Jesus said that this is my church and I will establish this my church, what he's saying to us is that church is not a man-made idea or gathering. This is a God idea. Jesus is the one who called it out. And when Jesus said, my church, he not only called it out and said, this is not a man-made thing. This is a God-made thing. But he also put an identity to it. He called it out and he named it. And we can read about this throughout scripture. But I want to take you to one verse in particular right now. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, and I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. And those of you that have been here anytime, you're like, of course. Um, so Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19, it says, So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the holy ones, with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple, and your lives have been built up together together 
upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. So when Jesus said, this is my church, what he was designating for us and explaining to us is he was establishing that my church will operate in the same way that the kingdom of God operates, which is a familial culture. The kingdom of God operates on a family culture and he's establishing that the church will operate in a family culture as well. And throughout scripture, you see that God is called our heavenly father, family. We are called his children, family. And we reading here says that we are all the children and that we are connected and that we're joined together and that we're part of the household of God. The kingdom operates in a family structure. Therefore, the church being Jesus and God's, not a man-made institution, but it is God. So because the kingdom operates in family, the church is to operate in family. That's the way that God set it up. That's the way that God designed it. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, But those who embraced him and took hold of his name, he gave authority to become the children of God. You have not just, it's not a thing to be taken lightly. You have the authority as a child of God. So, you know, here we don't have this, but like say in another country, if you were the child of the king of that country, I don't know why I'm thinking of the Prince of Arabia. I don't even... What is that? Uh, Disney. Aladdin. Aladdin. Yes. <laughs> so if you're the daughter of the king or the son of the king, like your hot's not in a bucket, right? Everybody thinks you're pretty cool. Okay, that's the way you are as a child of God. You are the child of the king, not just a Disney movie, right? Okay, so I want to pause right here before we go any further because I know that there are more than one or two of you sitting in here that when I start to talk about family, family is not a pleasant topic for you and your experience with family and the feelings that you have about family and maybe even specifically father are negative. They haven't been positive experiences. Maybe they've been really, really bad experiences. And maybe some things have happened to you of no fault of your choices or of your choosing, but because of the family that you were born into and those that are called your parents, there have been some very traumatic things that have happened to you. But here's what I want to say to you is that God is the original father and everything after him is a copy. Some of the copies have been very good and some of them not so good. But a copy does not change the original. So if your copy has not been a good experience, then that is all the more reason for you to press and connect with the original.
and God's original design, that he is the original God. He's the OG. So you need to connect with the original God, especially even the more so if your experience here has not been a good one. Okay, so everybody put that in your pocket right now if that has been where you're coming from. So the children of God, the ecclesia, were family. And our home at my house with my family, we have a great big table. We had a big table and now we have an even bigger table because now we have more family. (laughs) But... At my house, we have, in my dining room, we have a great big table, and we can fit a lot of people around that table, and if we have more people than we do table, we make it work. And we all gather around the table to eat, and when we gather around the table to eat, it's a special occasion. We're not sitting at the kitchen counter to eat, or we're not sitting in the living room to eat. When we're sitting at the table, it's a special occasion. And I love coming to the table with my family because I know when we gather around the table, there's going to be shenanigans that take place. There's going to be a lot of laughter. There's definitely going to be food. There's going to be sharing of stories. There's probably going to be some memories that are brought up. I'm going to learn things about my family and friends that are sitting around the table that I may have not known before as I'm just listening to the conversation and there will be sweet tea. So this is a good thing. When we gather around the table, we share and we engage with one another. One of my favorite times to gather around the table is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, and it has a lot of uh, tradition for me, Um, things that go back in my family that, you know, family members that have passed that are not here anymore. There's a certain dish that we make every year that my Mimi taught me to make, and it's hominy casserole. How many people in here have ever had hominy casserole? Okay, not very many. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, like, I don't know why. It's really good. It's like got a bunch of cheese and onions and butter and a little bit of hominy in it. It's so freaking amazing, okay? So you know it's good. So anyway, Thanksgiving, everybody comes, and I love hosting at my house, one, because I love having everybody at my table, but two, because then I get to have leftovers at my house, right? That's amazing. So anyway, Thanksgiving, everybody comes to the house, and when everybody comes, we all join together for the meal. There's a lot of times that people, whenever they're coming, that they will bring a dish, and they bring the dish that is their favorite or that is their specialty to make, and um, there are certain dishes that each one of my family members, that that's their favorite. Darren has to have mashed potatoes. Riata and I have to have the hominy casserole. And Rhett has to have abundance of gravy. So we have all of that. And then whoever else is coming, like whatever their favorite dish is, I want to know what that is. Or either they bring their favorite dish. We spend time in the kitchen. You know, Thanksgiving, you spend like six hours making all of the food, even two days preparing the food, and then literally eat it all within an hour. 
And so, but I love that because everybody is in the kitchen together. A few years, we fried a turkey and um, Darren and Rhett, that was their job to go out in the yard and to set up the fryer. And um, we had some really great experiences with that. The, I think the last time they did it, they got super... Uh, uh, ingenuity, but that's ingenuitous. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) um, they set up a ladder over the top of the, um, air, the turkey fryer and put a rope over the top and then hook the hook and then hook the turkey on the hook. And then they could stand back and lower the, um, turkey down into the turkey fryer. If you've never looked up bad, you know, turkey frying gone bad, you should totally look that up and then you'll understand why they lowered it down. The thing will literally explode and shoot right out of the turkey fryer. If there is, if it's frozen on the inside. So, you know, you know, sacrificing limbs for Thanksgiving dinner. That's always, that's, that's the way we do it when we gather together, right? But anyway, we're all in the kitchen together. We're all preparing together. Everybody helps bring something to the table. We carry all of the food in, and then we all gather around the table together, and we pass the food around to one another. And you know, you're salivating as you're passing everything around, and you get so much on your plate that you're like, whoo, my eyes were bigger than my tummy, but you somehow make room for all of it, you know? And then when you get so full that you like, can't take a deep breath. Oh my gosh. (laughs) As a kid, when we gathered at my in-laws or my, uh, my cousin's house, uh, she had a trampoline. So we would eat and then go out and jump on the trampoline. So it would like all kind of pack down and then you go inside and (laughs) eat some more. (laughs) So anyway, but everybody would bring something to the table, whether you were carrying a dish, whether you were carry, you know, helping to set the table and then everybody would help afterwards to clean up. But we all contributed to the dinner every year. Everybody contributes and every year we all leave full. Nobody gets up from the table, not full. And you go jump on the trampoline and make room for more. This is a picture of how God intended for his church to be, his ecclesia. However, there is a tension for some of us when we come to church because church is a gathering of family as we gather around our table. But the tension is that a lot of us come to church with the expectation of coming to get something. We come to church the way that we would go to a restaurant to get something to eat. We come into the church with the idea of being a consumer and not a contributor. So when we go to a restaurant to eat, you go there to be served. You don't walk in the door and say, hey, uh, you know what? Um, do you guys need any help back in the kitchen? Because I'm, I'm like super good at grilling steaks. So I could go back there and help out. Or you don't get up from your table and as the waitress is carrying food out, go and take food off of her tray and say, okay, so who had the chicken fried steak here in the restaurant? 
you don't get up and help serve the food. You don't go back and cook the food. You come in with the expectation of being served. And I order what I want, how I want it. And nobody's going to tell me that I have to eat vegetables. I can eat what I want when I go out to eat. That was always a treat when we were uh, kids. We would go out to eat at this one particular place, and my brother and I could get anything that we wanted to. And that was always the best because we didn't have to get anything green on our plate. But when you go to a restaurant, you order what you want. You will go to a particular restaurant to get what you want. The world has conditioned us or discipled us, if you will, to be consumers. So therefore, we carry a consumer mindset everywhere we go. We go, we go to get, you know, ladies, we go to get our hair done. Men, I know you get your hair cut too, but you're like, just, you know, whatever, just so that it's not sticking out at the top of my cap. You, I don't know if men care as much, so I think of ladies. But anyway, okay, you go to Shields, okay, <laughs> or Bass Pro Shop or whatever. But you go there because they have what you want and you're going to get it how you want it. We go to the grocery store. We go to uh, restaurants. We go, think of, I mean, think of Amazon. You don't even have to leave your home to get what you want. And my gosh, if it's not there the next day, find me another right? What the heck with this delayed shipping thing? Um, uh, no, I need my air fryer because the fast is starting, right? I need it now. (laughs) But that's because we have been trained in our culture to be consumers. So therefore, for many of us, we feel attention when we come into the church because we've been trained and our mind is geared to thinking as a consumer thinks and we don't think about coming into the church not as a consumer but as a contributor gathering around the table together. So you might be saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I thought I was supposed to come to church to get fed. I thought that this is where I was supposed to come to learn and to grow and to get fed the word of God. If you've been in church for very long, that's kind of a Christianese terminology. I go to church to get fed. They're not talking about the donuts. They're talking about the word, you know, about the Bible. It's a Christian thing that people say. That's true. You should come to church to get fed. However, your experience And your expectation is totally different when you come to church as a consumer as opposed to when you come to church as a contributor and as family. Totally different experience. When we are consumer-minded, we come into church and we treat the church like a place that we're going to order what we want when we want it. 
And you know, there's even, there's even apps now that you can get on and you can check, okay, are they going to have, are they, is this, or do they have the best pancakes? Oh my gosh. I mean, pancakes next Saturday. Okay. So are they going to, are they going to have what I want? We have apps to check out what other consumers have said about this particular business or place or establishment so that we can know as consumers as to whether or not we want to go there. That's how geared we are to be consumers. But that is not the way that when Jesus said, this is my church, that's not what Jesus had in mind for his church. And let me, let me just say this. This is not a message. Number one, if you're sitting there and you're wondering, is she going to start talking about money? This is, I am not talking about money at all. So all of you can like let go of the crease in your seat right now. I'm not talking about money at all. <laughs> And if you have your mind fixed on that, you're totally going to miss what I'm talking about. But let me say this as well. This is not a message of condemnation or shame or guilt at all. This is a message of empowerment for you. This is a message of freedom for you. So if there's any, anything other than that trying to set in, you just take a deep breath right now. <sighs> it's all good. Say, I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. All right. God's design is that when we would gather together as the ecclesia, that everyone would bring something to the table. His design is that as the family of God, that everyone is a contributor. As a matter of fact, in uh, Deuteronomy 16, 16, in the Old Testament, uh, God is teaching his people about coming before the Lord. And he's specifically talking about Mark times of the year that the men would come before the Lord. But this is what he says is he says, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. If God says not to come empty handed when you come before him, it's because he has given every single person called by his name something to bring. God is never going to ask you to do something that he hasn't already given you the full ability and resources to do. So when he said to his people, don't ever come before the Lord empty handed, it's because he knew that he designed every single one of his creation with a gift on the inside of them that when they come before him, that they should bring that gift. He wouldn't ask you for what you don't have. So he established this, this for us. Everyone has something to bring to the table. But have you ever been to somebody's house for dinner that it was just awkward? Just a little weird. We had one experience that like, it was nobody in this church, and it's not anybody that you know. So I'm just going to say that. But that was when Darren and I left. He looked at me when we walked out the front door, and he looks at me and he goes, do, 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 do. <laughs> it was like, it just got more weirder and weirder and weirder. As the night went on, it was like, what is this? And then it got funny. I mean, it got to the point where we were like, 
I don't even know how this could get any weirder. And then it would. It's like, whoa. And when we left, we laughed all the way home. But I can tell you, as weird and as awkward as it was, I still remember it. <laughs> totally remember that. Weirdest dinner party I've ever been to. But I also remember the first time that I sat down at the dinner table with Darren's family. It was before we were married. And it was the first time I went to visit and to meet his family. I was living in Colorado. He was living in Oklahoma. And so I went out to meet his family. And Sunday after church, we were all sitting around the dinner table together. Mimo had fixed lunch for all of us, and it was all set out on the table. But I didn't know what was appropriate and what was expected because I've never sat at their table before. And so I was sitting there kind of waiting to see. Number one, it was really different for me that she had put everything on the table and she made everything and then everybody just came to eat. At my house, everybody like helps with the meal. Mimo made everything. That's Darren's mom. We call her Mimo. Anyway, she made everything and had it on the table. So all of us came and sat down and I was Felt a little awkward, felt a little uncomfortable because this was the first time I was meeting all of these people. And Darren and I were very serious. We had said the L word to one another. We knew we were getting married. And so this was serious. So I'm meeting people who are going to be my future family. So I was really nervous. I didn't know how to act for sure. And, you know, do we pass the food? Does everybody reach, like, what do we even do? And it wasn't maybe five minutes into the meal Um, We had corn on the cob, and my youngest nephew picked up his corn on the cob, and uh, Grandma had put the little stick thingy in it, and he was holding that, and he reached over, and he did just like that and hit Darren's dad right in the side of the face in his beard with sopping buttered corn on the cob. And I just sat there waiting to see what was going to happen. And Papa busted out laughing. He just thought that was so funny. And Bruce and his brother both said, if we had done that, we'd have got a whipping, you know. And he's like, you're right, you would have, you know. But at the table, it didn't matter what the grandkids did. And after we had kids, they could have done anything they wanted to. At the dinner table, it didn't matter. But that's the way it is when you come to the table for the first time or when you're kind of new at the table. In our church right now, we have such an influx of new people and new faces that are coming to the table. A ton. And here's what's really cool is we have over the past several weeks, those of you that have been here know that we've had some really major members of our family move into different seasons of their life and they're not here. But what is so amazing to me is week after week, I get to meet these new people that are coming. And I'm telling you what, just so that you guys know, as we're sitting at the table, God is sending us top notch quality people. I am like, 
I mean, my heart, my heart hurts, you know, when people transition and seasons change. I'm so thankful and I'm, you know, praising God for where they're going and what they're doing, but it's hard on your heart. But I am meeting new people that are coming and saying, this is our church. This is where we want to be. And I'm really in awe at the people that get to be family with us. And I don't know out of all the churches that they could choose to go to. I don't know why God sends them here, but I'm really, really glad that he does because we have room for you at our table and we've been waiting for you. But with that said, the way that I was brought up is that good etiquette is that you make everyone feel comfortable at your table. That's good manners. And so it's up to us that have been sitting at this table and call this home, and this is our family table. It's up to us that have been sitting at the table for a while that if you see a new face or a face that you haven't seen in a while or you're not sure if you've seen them before, it's up to those of us that are sitting at the table to make them feel welcome and comfortable and to not feel awkward. So if you need to hit them in the face with a corn on the cob and let them know, hey, we're family here. Then you go ahead and do that. I remember uh, when I was, I think I was uh, six or seven, we went to a uh, dinner at my dad's boss's house. And when we went into the house, it was he and his wife, all of their kids were grown, so they were a little bit older. And my brother, I was about six, so that would have made my brother three or four. So we were young. And when we walked in, they greeted us and welcomed us into their home and everything. And she says, well, come on and sit down. I've got dinner ready. So we go into their dining room. The dining room had white carpet on the floor and she had white linen tablecloth out. She had crystal stemware on the table. And I remember this fine china and this beautiful, everything, what I remember as a kid, everything was super sparkly. I was like, wow, this is cool, you know? And, um... My mom's face was like, I think my mom started perspiring. Like, I'm pretty sure she was sweating. And uh, the gentleman, his name was Doug. He wanted my brother. He said, I want him to come sit with me. And my mom was like, oh my gosh. So we sit down. Well, Doug is watching everybody around the table and his wife, Margaret, is bringing everything in. He gets the big spoon out of the gravy bowl and he gets a big old scoop of gravy and slaps it right in the middle of the table on the white linen tablecloth. This made a huge impression on me as a child. And he slaps that down like that and he said, there, it's done. Now we don't have to worry about it anymore. We can enjoy ourselves, right? It was the best. So that's how he was making us all feel comfortable. So that is our job as family to make everyone feel comfortable around our table. And if you're a guest, if they're new here, it is your job to reciprocate. It's your job to engage. Here's a, here's a, a clue in. It's super easy to, fo- to spot new people because they're not talking to anyone. Because they don't know anyone. So if you see someone who's not talking to anyone, they're probably not hanging out in the hospitality area drinking coffee because they don't know anybody to sit in there and drink coffee with. Talk to them. Just go up, you know, and as, as hard as it, for those of you who are the introverts, just hi. 
just say hello. It's important. It's proper etiquette and manners that we make them feel welcome at our home. And that's what family does. Amen? Yeah. So what does it look like to come to church as family and as a contributor rather than a consumer? Number one, I'm going to give you two things. Number one, family comes prepared to give. You bring your dish to the table. Everyone brings something to the table. So what do you do when you go to family's house for dinner and you walk in the door? You greet people. You don't walk in the door and not talk to anybody. If you do right away, what's wrong? Are you okay? You know? But when you come in the door, you greet one another. You say hello. You give a smile. You give a handshake. You give a hug. You give a warm greeting to one another. So when you come into church, when you come in to have dinner with the family, we greet one another. You bring what you have to the table by sharing your smile, by sharing your greeting, by not looking like you just ate lemons before you walked in the building. Put a smile on when you come in the door. Look like you want to be here, even if you don't and your spouse drug you here. We have coffee for those of you who are just not wanting to be here yet, okay? So anyway, you put on a smile, and when you come in the door, you share the fruit of the Spirit. You share what is on the inside of you, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You don't punch anybody in the face when you come in the front door as self-control. And when you leave, no, I'm just joking. But when we all come together, we share what God has put on the inside of us to share. The other thing you do is when you come in, I don't know, growing up for me, when you come in and you're going to somebody's house to eat, Right away, you ask, what can I do to help? How can I help? I cannot go to somebody else's house and just sit down and let them fix everything and serve me like I'm at a restaurant. You're my friend, your family. I want to help. That's the same way that we do here at the Ecclesia. We're family. We help. It is my opinion that every single person that calls this your home should be serving on a ministry team somewhere. Every person here, without exception. Why? Because we give you the opportunity to serve. We want you to have that experience because there is no other way that you will connect with God and connect with family the way that you will when you start serving. When you start serving on a ministry team, that opens up your relationship, number one, with God, and it opens your relationship with other people. If you're not serving on a ministry team, you're missing out. I remember when I, I was, it was before Darren and I met, I knew that I wanted to grow closer with God, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what to do. And I remember my mom taking me to the church that we were attending and we sat down and talked to, it was the pastor that we talked to. And I wanted, I just, I, I didn't know it at the time, but God was stirring in my life that he was calling me to him, but I didn't know how to answer. So the only thing I knew to do was to go and ask, what can I do to help? And when we sat down and talked with the pastor of this church, there was nowhere for me to plug in. 
There was nowhere for me to serve. I was too young. I didn't have enough experience. I didn't have this education. I didn't have this. I didn't have this. I didn't have this. I didn't have this. So I left there thinking, I don't know what to do. And I am not good enough to serve in the church. That's why here at our house, everyone can serve. Everyone can be involved in a ministry team. Now you might say, well, I've got a record. Let me tell you right now, if we didn't let people who had a record serve, half of our team would be gone. Okay. It might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Why? Because God is good and God doesn't care what your past is. He cares about where you're going and he wants to get you connected. So if that's the way God looks at you, that's the way we look at we. We don't care where you've been. We want you to get connected. So we give you the opportunity to serve on a team that is going to allow you to give out what God has put on the inside of you. Because when you start giving out, God pours in the fresh. If you're never giving anything out and you're stale water, what's the point of God pouring any more in? So if you want more of God, you want to grow, you want to decide, I don't know about this whole God thing, get plugged into a ministry team. And when you start putting, when you start pouring out, almost said putting out, that would not be good. family. We have grace for one another. (laughs) When you start sharing the ministry that is on the inside of you, then God will pour more in and you'll have more to give out. (laughs) I think I'm sweating a little bit. Okay. (laughs) And the last thing is that when you come together as family, that you participate, you're open and you're ready to engage. Can I, if you've never stood up here on this stage, I would love for everybody to have the opportunity to come and stand up here and see this. (laughs) My father in the spirit there was a dude doing that in one of his meetings he kicked his legs and woke him up abruptly and told him ain't nobody sleeps in my meetings the dude got saved (laughs) right papa could be honorary when he wanted to be you come ready to engage You come with expectation because you know that when you walk in those doors and you're giving out what God's got on the inside of you, that you're going to receive what God has for you that day. And can I tell you that it is so good when the worship team is up here worshiping. If you're, if you are a, um, more of a statue worshiper, that's cool. Nobody's here to judge how you're worshiping but engage from the inside. And you know what? When you when when somebody is up here speaking, when you're engaging back and you're, you know, yes, and you're talking, you're laughing and you're having a good time, the person that's up here is having a good time. But if you're like <laughs> It's literally, I'm just going to tell you, it's literally I'm like throwing 
a tennis ball at a brick wall and it's just coming back at you. I remember going somewhere to preach one time and it felt like that. And I got so mad at God for sending us there. Oh, don't ever make us go back there again. And they kept inviting us back. It was tough. Ephesians chapter four and verse 16 says this for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, hey, if I'm not perfect, it's your fault because you're not contributing. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You got a problem with me? Well, you're not bringing the right dish to the table, okay? That's what that means. (laughs) You bring an expression of God to the table that nobody else can. And when you're not here, there's a place that's empty at our table. And when you don't bring something to the table, we're missing out on a very, very important part of the meal. And you might think, well, what I have isn't important. God thinks otherwise. So, number one, when family comes prepared to give, you bring your dish. Number two, family always leaves filled up. At my house, I always make more than enough food. I always make more than enough. It's how I was raised. Like you'd rather have too much than not enough. So I always have more than enough food and you should never, ever leave the family table. Not full in God's family. When you bring your dish to the table to share with everyone, everyone leaves full. But here's the cool thing about God's table when you come as family and we join together as the ecclesia, that when you bring your dish to the table, you're going to leave with more than the dish that you brought. That's just the way that God works. It's just like when Jesus was out with his disciples and all of the people had gathered together to listen to him. There were 5,000 men that wasn't, uh, they weren't counting the women and the children and they didn't have anything to feed all of the people that were there Well, one little boy brought his stuff to the table. He brought five loaves and two fishes and fed those thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And then when they were all done eating, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. They took doggy bags home for everybody. There was more than enough. That's the way it works when you gather together as the ecclesia is God takes what you bring and he multiplies it and sends you home with more than you brought and you leave full. It doesn't matter how much you give out. When you come to the table as family, gathering together in God's name, you'll leave fuller than you came, regardless of how. You cannot give out more than God will fill you up, period. With your worship, with your time, with your servanthood, with your smile, with your kindness, with words of encouragement to other people, you will leave fuller than you came. Always. It's the way that God does things. You know, it it makes me think of when Paul and Silas in uh, the book of Acts, when Paul and Silas were in prison and they were in their cell and they began to worship God. 
They were praying and worshiping, sitting in this dark cell alone, well, alone together. (laughs) They were sitting there (laughs) in their cell, the two of them, and they began to worship. And what happened is the prison doors opened on the cells and the chains and the shackles that held the prisoners in the prison fell off. It was the worship of Paul and Silas that set other people free. See, you never know the person sitting next to you may be bound up and may have had a really, really hard week. They may have some stuff going on in their life that is just too hard to even speak. But your worship, you just worshiping God the way that you do, you bringing your dish to the table may be exactly what they need to be set free. The move of God that happens doesn't just happen coming from up here. The move of God in this church comes through you. You're the ones who bring that when you bring your dish to the table. I'm going to close with this. In Ephesians, we started out in Ephesians chapter 2. And in continuing that verse, this passage says this in Ephesians 2.21 says the entire building is under construction and is continually growing. How many of us, how many of you would say I'm under construction? I am a process in progress. So if you're under construction, you think you're a mess, you're in just the right spot. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under the supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the Holy of Holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. When the scripture says his dwelling place, what that means is a house. That's a place where someone lives. But the root of that is a permanent dwelling. See, God's not looking for rental property. He's looking for a place to establish his home. And to put his roots in deep. So when you, as we said before, when you call upon his name and you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. And when we gather together like this, what happens is there's a term, I don't think it's in scripture, but it's just a term that's used in in church world and it's called a corporate anointing. What that means is when we all gather together here, we're all coming with our gift of faith. So when we collectively bring our gift of faith together, it means that when I gather together with you, I've got more faith than I do when I'm on my own. It means that there is more expectation. It means that there's greater anointing. It means that there's greater presence. There's more multifacets of God, like a diamond has so many cuts and different sides and different reflections of light. It's like the way that we are. When we come together, we're like that diamond because there's all these different facets and multiple sides of God that we get to experience in more fullness because you bring a part of God that I don't represent the same that you do. So when we come together, we experience something far more powerful than when we're on our own. I love online church, and I know that there's people that are watching online because they can't be here in person, but there is nothing like gathering together as the ecclesia. Especially 
when everyone brings something to the table. And we come as contributors and not as consumers. We are God's dwelling place and his spirit lives in us. And as Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So if you're the ones that are sitting and thinking, I don't know what I have to bring to the table. I want everybody, if you would, just close your eyes and settle in for just a moment. Because there's not a person in here that doesn't have something to bring to the table. And if that is the voice that is speaking to you, and if that is the thing that is running in your head right now, I want to tell you that's the voice to turn off. So in yourself, I want you just to reach up right now, and I just want you to flip the off switch. Just see yourself turning that that off. And something really cool is going to happen. When you turn that off, the light's going to come on. Because the truth and what God says about you is that you are more than enough. And today, God wants you to know that the gift that's on the inside of you, when you connect yourself to him, that the passions and the giftings, the natural bends that you have, those things that you're just naturally good at, when you connect with God, there now becomes multiplication of those things that you're naturally good at because now God comes on your natural and you become supernatural at the things that you put your hands to. And if you're the person sitting here and you're like, well, I don't really know if I'm good at anything. I don't know what I'm good at. You know what? Connect yourself to God and you're going to find what you're good at. You're going to find the dish that you have to bring to the table. The first step though, is connecting yourself to God. And the way to do that, the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the connection that we have to our Father God. So if you've not ever knowingly, intentionally, and on purpose said, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. If you've never made that decision for yourself, you know God doesn't have any grandkids. They're all his kids. And it's not about your mom and dad's decision. It's not about what your grandma did. It's not about anything else. It's not about what your friends did. It's about you. This is the one thing in this world right now that you have complete and total control over, your relationship with God. And it starts through Jesus Christ. And it's very simple. The very first step is just by saying, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to go where you're going and I want to do what you do. That's the beginning. That's the first step. Then you begin to grow. You grow in freedom. You grow in authority. You grow in power. You grow in confidence. You grow in boldness. As you continue following Jesus and walking with Jesus is being part of the ecclesia, the church. That's why we gather together so that we can grow and we can learn and we can experience from one another and grow together. So just take a moment and ask yourself right now, have I, have I solidified that in myself that I am following Jesus? When Jesus called the disciples, he went to him and he's, he said, come and follow me. He didn't say, close your eyes and everyone 
I want to ask you, have you made me the Lord of your life? I don't think Jesus talked like that. He very simply said, come and follow me. And the fishermen, the tax collectors, they left everything. And they said, we'll come follow you. That was step one. That was when the adventure began. That was when life got good for them. So I want to ask with every head up and every eye looking around today, if you know that you're making that commitment and you're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't know where he's going, but wherever he's going, that's where I want to go. And you're making that commitment today, knowingly, intentionally with your own choice. I want you to stick your hand up in the air right now. Everybody looking around, everybody seeing. Yes. Yes. See, I don't, I, I think there's times for it, but I'm not all about this. Everybody close your eyes and bow your heads because there's this thing that it should be a secret or that you should be, you know, like keep it quiet and don't be real vocal with it. I think we should all be looking around with our heads up and hey, if somebody raises our hand, yeah, right on. <laughs> right? It's a celebration. So with that, when you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit in you says that that is what is driving us as the ecclesia, as the church, and we are empowered and we're built up together and God is doing miraculous miracles in his ecclesia. So be expecting, be expecting. It's a good trip. Amen? Amen. Bailey Bay, come on up here.